The following is a quarantine recording presented to you in a round sound. It was recorded with whatever was lying around. Hey, this is Lady Don't Take No, your weekly roundup of all of the real and none of the fake. I'm your host, Alicia Garza. This show is pro-Black, pro-queer, proudly feminist, and pro-do-what-you-like. Every week, you're going to get the best of what goes on in my head and what we're loving on and what we hating on, what we might be and what we ain't going to do. Politics, pop culture, defending our democracy, or what's left of it anyway, and building the one we deserve, we cover it all. We are recording from Oakland, California, which we all know is the center of the known universe, where we are dealing with Rona and rebellion. It's a challenging time, a changing time. It's a time of transformation. It's all the things all the time nowadays, but we're going to help you understand the dynamics of this time every single week. So be sure to tune in, tell a friend, and leave a review on Apple Podcasts. We do it for the culture, so the pod is free 99, because we know that with a country in chaos, the least we could do is keep you from putting your money anywhere else than where it's needed. Our guest this week is an award-winning organizer, political strategist, and jazz singer. She has over 20 years of experience working in the nonprofit sector on issues related to political empowerment, social justice, economic development, and civil rights. She is the co-founder of Black Voters Matter Fund, a power-building, Southern-based civic engagement organization that played an instrumental role in the 2017 Alabama U.S. Senate race. I am so grateful to have her on the pod today. So please give a warm lady don't take no welcome to Latasha Brown. Hey, Latasha. Hello, Alicia. How are you, my sister? Oh, my sister, my love. I am. I am, sis. How you doing? (laughs) You know, (laughs) we do it. (laughs) I'm alive. I'm alive. You know, you know. That's the real thing. So I got to ask, I ask everybody, you know, this is our pandemic podcast that could, should, does, will, and has been. (laughs) So I got to ask everybody, what has your quarantine life been like? Have you developed any unique habits live and direct for Miss Rona? Actually, I have. You know, what's interesting is I, after... I bought my house in 2007 and it looks like I finally moved in it in 2020. Oh my God. So I've been here all the while, but I realized I've been treating my home like a hotel. Like, Mm. you know, I I spent so much time, you know, in the field and traveling so much in, in recent years that I haven't been home. And so since I have been, you know, during the quarantine period, I realized a couple of things that I really like my house. Okay. I really like my home. And so I've been doing things that I never thought that I would do, like 
planting flowers. You know <laughs> like, what? Yes. I see you at your garden on your porch. I've seen it. I know. It. I see it's, it. I see it's, it. It's, and they make me so happy. So really being able to plant flowers. You know, this one thing that I've developed that I never understood why people develop this. And I'm going to be honest. The only reason why I started this is because I bought me a new toy. So I went to... to um, I think it was Sam's Club or Costco's or somewhere, and I bought a, a curate machine, right? Curate okay, machine. yes, 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 the coffee so, drip thing. The coffee thing. Mm-hmm. So I literally drink a cup of coffee every morning. It's like oh. my ritual. I have never been a coffee person. You should oh. see me. Like, so now I'm one of those people like, oh, I need my coffee first. I swear, I don't know what happened, (laughs) but I think part of it, I realized I was like, oh, I should write about the culture of coffee. So it's not just the coffee. Matter of fact, I'm not even sure if I'm really drinking coffee. I think I'm drinking more cream and sugar. (laughs) But nevertheless, that's like another thing. It's like a ritual. It's like the one thing that I do in the morning It's for me. Mm-hmm. And I'm I'm quiet while I'm doing it. I'm enjoying it. Um, I'm particularly jo- enjoying the sugar. I I have to admit I am a like sugar addict. So it's mm. pretty good. So I you know that's the one thing I've been doing. I love that. I drink coffee every morning too, and I try to drink coffee before I talk to anybody or else thoughts and prayers for that conversation. <laughs> <laughs> And I used to do sugar and cream, but, you know, in the last few years, I've really adopted my mom's way of drinking coffee, which was just diesel and black. Right. <laughs> now, now I can't have nothing in my coffee. I just have to have it, you know, straight from pot to cup, nothing in it. And that's what gets me going. Oh, my goodness. I can't even fathom that. But, you know, <laughs> I'm thinking about my grandmother. Really, I think. You know, I'm drinking coffee. I've been thinking so much about my grandmother in mm-hmm. recent weeks. And part of it is because, if you know, you've got that one person on earth that you know That's is your right. soulmate. That's like, right. my mother loved me, and I love my mama, and I miss my mother. But mm-hmm. my grandmother? Okay. <laughs> listen, I was my grandmama's baby, and she was my, she was my soulmate. And so what's really interesting is I our secret thing would be around coffee. So, you know, as a child, you can't let children drink coffee. And my grandmother was really strict around things like that. But she liked coffee, but she had diabetes. So she could only drink like a little, like a, a third of a cup she would yep. make. But what she would do is she would have her coffee and she would, she called me ma. She said, come on, ma, let's drink our coffee. And she would give me one sip. Yes. And I would walk around <laughs> looking at my cousins all day like, yeah, grandma may give you no coffee. Okay. Like, <laughs> coffee was the badge of honor. You were like, that's what makes me the favorite. Are there any pleasures that you have taken during the pandemic that have surprised you? Ooh, that's such a good question. Hmm. You know, it's really interesting. I realize I am far more of a nerd than I thought I was. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. I have been loving, like, nerdy stuff. Like, it is amazing. Yes. Neil deGrasse has this book of, like, astrophysics for busy people. In a million years, I would never pick up that book. But for some reason, I decided I wanted to buy that book. And I have been listening to it. It is the most interesting thing I've ever heard in my life. And I can't tell you anything I heard. But <laughs> for whatever reason, um, and it's been bringing me so much joy. I heard a podcast the other day, which was about uh, birds. Like, it was, a, it was telling the life of a bird through a narrator. Ooh. It was the most 
boring, fantastic <laughs> thing I have ever heard. <laughs> so with a life like mine, I think at this point, I'm like, boring is good. Oh, my gosh. I have been wanting to have you on this pod for a hot minute. And I think we were scheduled, actually, to have you on the pod. And then, of course, the world went bananas. And <laughs> we got the second in history Black woman to run for the vice presidential seat on the Democratic side. Right. First ever Black and Indian woman to ever hold this position. And I know we've been talking about this to death, but I have been waiting for, I don't know, maybe a month to actually hear your perspective on this question, because I think it's really nuanced. So we're like a month out now. And there were some people who were like, oh, my God, it's the end of the world. I didn't think it was the end of the world. In fact, you and I got to co-author an op-ed together with a couple of other brilliant sisters talking about how there was no other choice but to pick a Black woman. That's right. But a month in, now that we're seeing her at work, right, we saw her give a historic speech at the DNC. We've been seeing her out in the field campaigning. How do you think our sister Kamala is doing? I actually think she's doing really good. Mm -hmm. You know, I think that she has brought a certain level of energy to the ticket. I love that she is completely owning who she is. I think the greatest thing that she brings is she is not shying away from, she is a a Black woman. She is not shying away that she graduated from HBCU. She's not shying away that she's also a Southeastern Asian woman. You know, something about her literally owning who she is. I, you know, I don't know if I'm just paying more attention now, but it certainly seems like she's standing and stepping in that in a way that even early on when she had first announced she was running for president, I didn't see that as much as I'm seeing now. But there is something about owning who you are it, it affirms others. And so it get, it opens up a space for other people to engage and a space for other people to really be able to see the authenticity of who you are. And so I think that there's, there's something really powerful about how she's showing up. You know, I'm seeing photos of her where she's sitting at home with her Howard shirt on. Yep. They're not Photoshopped. They're not like she has all of the makeup together. Traditionally, what we've seen, particularly folks who are running for um, high office, yep. it's been curated. The photos have been curated around everything from the way they dress to where we see them. Even when we see them relaxed, you know, like I know, that mm-hmm. is not relaxed. It's That's like, right. literally, it's, it's staged. It's staged, <laughs> exactly, right? Exactly. And, and I'm quite sure that there are people around her that have been pushing for that. For her as well, right? The fact that that's not happening, that also tells me that she's resisting that. Mm-hmm. That she wants to present herself a particular kind of way to the world. And I think that's powerful. To be able to see her in all of her sisterhood, to be able to see her be authentically who she is and not run away from that. You know, and I think we can go extremes. That on one hand, we can go from the extreme of being curated to also go the other extreme that we're going to be I'm going to be who you, who I think you want me to be. You know, I'm going to, I have to be super black to show that I'm black or I have to be super down. You know what I've been seeing her in my opinion, as I've been watching her the last couple of years, this is the, a very balanced, authentic version of who she is. You know, it's almost like this sister got to the point of like, take me as I am. This is who I am, right? (laughs) Yes. And so, you know, I, I think that there's a resistance to her of this whole idea of I've got to be perfection. 
you know, that this whole idea that I have to always be camera ready, but that I am, I am who I am. I am, um, I'm a leader and I can still rock these chucks, get okay. off the airplane okay. and be a leader, right? This is who I am. And so there's something very powerful in that image. Cause I do think that images matter. And so I think, you know, I've been listening to how she is speaking and her ability to listen. Mm-hmm. I've been in a couple of conversations where I felt like she was authentically listening. Now, I've been in a whole lot of political conversations where they are quiet, but you know what I'm talking about, Alicia. They ain't listening. I sure do. I right? sure do. <laughs> They're not listening. So I think that there is, and I think whenever there's a space of listening, I think that there's a lot of possibilities and potential in that. And I do think to lean into... Um, not make not saying I'm the best. I've I've done everything right, and I'm the best. But also that there's space That's for right. me to learn. That there's space to be transformed. Because what I am hoping is that I am hoping that she literally becomes a demonstration of the kind of candidates that we're looking for. We are. I mean, black folks are some forgiving people. Sometimes mm-hmm. folks say too much, though, right? That's right. But I think what's really powerful is that what we have shown over and over again. If you come to us right. If you come to us right, if you acknowledge where there have been shortcomings or weaknesses or where there's an opportunity to learn, right, we always give grace and space for folks, right? right. And so I think Vice President Biden has that opportunity as well, that you can actually show that you are a transformative leader. You can actually use the fact that you created, that you were the architect of that crime bill, that you can actually take leadership and say, and literally not only talk about what you've learned wrong in that process, but actually create some of the most sweeping reforms Mm -hmm. in this country. Now, here, I don't see, I don't hear him quite yet. I was going to say. (laughs) Now, he's not quite there yet, but but, but I'm really speaking more of the opportunity and where we need to push him. That literally, that can make you be transformative. And if, you know, if he's not interested in running a second term, like I think he said before, Mm -hmm. then what? Like, why not? So ultimately, what we are looking for is a different kind of a different kind of leadership. We are looking for a particular kind of authenticity. I mean, at the end of the day, you know, even when my critique of Trump um, is that part of what what Trump brought to the forefront is that white supremacy is authentic to the American experience. You know what? <laughs> Listen, say it. Yeah, he like literally was like, nope, y'all know we racist as hell. Mm-hmm. Matter of fact, I'm gonna I'm gonna lean into it. Matter of fact, That's I'm right. gonna build off on it. Matter of fact, I'm gonna exploit it. Right. And so in that context, even though in no way am I saying that I think there's an element, an element that he exploits. Not that I even think that he care about white folks, because quite frankly, I don't think he care about them either. But I do think that he understands that white supremacy is such a value that's in, ingrained in this culture that he has been willing to exploit whatever it is to keep himself in power. Um, and I think that we have to look at it from a different way. One, we got to look at a way of integrity, right? But that what are people asking for, particularly those of us that are progressive, we want authentic voices to really do an agenda that's not really based on what some political pundits say is important. But if they listen, we will tell you what it is that we want. And if I don't know any other time in history that the street's been speaking, girl, the street's been speaking. Like when you got people uprising in all 50 states, multi-generational, multi-racial, the streets are talking. And so the question is, are you listening? Because we're telling you what we want. 
Yep. So it, I think the, it's incumbent upon them and for us to push them and making sure that we get this vision, what I always call this radical reimagining of this nation, that we can we, we move forward. I'm a believer that words mean things. I often find that people throw words around and we assume that everybody's talking about the same thing, but actually we're talking about very different things. So I actually just want to break down because we talk a lot about democracy. And I think there is a white supremacist version of democracy, right? Which is, you know, freedom, freedom, liberty, and justice for white folks. <laughs> no, not even for white folks. Let's, let's correct that. American democracy is freedom and justice for wealthy white folks with a particular uh, prejudice towards white men. Mm, Okay, facts. So let's talk about what different kind of democracy would look like. What are we talking about when we say democracy? And especially when it comes to Black communities, like what are we really saying a democracy needs when it comes to, to our folks? To be honest with you, I wish I had the answer. I'm not so sure I had the answer. And in truth, what I believe is that there is a principle around how I fundamentally attach this notion that all people have a voice. But I can say on a very pragmatic, practical level, that shit is hard. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, you know, um, even sometimes, I'm, you know, I even said, I thought, I want no democracy. We're going to do this. And this is mm-hmm. what I'm like, like trying to move. Right. And so. You know, but on the on the practical level, you know, I think it's very difficult. But I do think that's what we should be aspiring. I think we should be aspiring to create a society that we all have a voice, mm-hmm. that we all have space to really be able to be our full and our whole selves. You know, I wish I could paint a picture of exactly what that looks like. But to be honest with you, Alicia, I've never seen it. What I have seen is I've seen I've seen those spaces where people in that entire space have been honored and there's something about it just feels different. Mm -hmm. Everybody feels heard. I've been in spaces where people coming from different backgrounds and different particular ideologies and different sexual orientations felt loved and secured. And so I don't know what that is. I don't know if you call that democracy. I don't know what you call that. But that when I think of democracy, that's what I'm thinking. I'm thinking that there is some process that gives people the ability to really be able to operate in their agency, to really be able to shape the world. Um, and I don't think that that means without struggle, right? I think we human beings, you know, I, yeah, I don't know until somebody figure out how to give human beings a perfect feel, you know, we're going to struggle, right? But struggle doesn't necessarily mean that it has to lead to, I want to kill your very existence. That's right. That's right? right. Struggle doesn't mean that, you don't deserve to have a space because you disagree with me. It's it can just be struggle. I mean, some of my some of my most important lessons in my life I actually got from struggling. Mm-hmm. So I'm also not one of those people that think that struggle is a bad thing. What I do believe though is it's a whole different piece when I am struggling through working through something together. When there's a real intention to work through something together in an environment that says that I'm valued is very different than struggling in an environment where I'm not valued. I heard that. 
so for me, what I think democracy means is creating that space that all human beings like can come to that space and being valued and have a voice in a part of the decisions, the collective decisions we make that are going to govern us, the collective decisions we make about how our communities are going to be constructed, right? And being always being able to create space for that to grow and to develop and evolve. And actually, when we need to get rid of some stuff, get rid of it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's fair. I love that. There's so much work that's being done on the Republican side and frankly, sometimes on the Democratic side. I'm just going to keep it a buck. We're going to be bipartisan with that's this right. dissuasion of Black voters from participating. Tell the truth or shame you <laughs> Okay. There's a lot of misinformation and disinformation out there. What do you say? to Black voters who tell you voting doesn't matter. And are you hearing that from folks? When we're out talking to folks, and I don't really hear it as often as people say. I, I, hear, it in, I hear different versions of that. But I don't hear it directly in that same kind of way, which is interesting. And so there's a, I think there's somewhat of a shift, but I do hear it. And so let me tell you what, when, when people, when we run up to folks and we're talking to folks and they say that, that for me, what uh, my first piece, and they said, well, my vote doesn't matter. Or my vote doesn't count. And my position to them is, I hear you. And I understand exactly why you're saying that. I'm not even interested in your vote right now. I want to know what you care about. Mm-hmm. Ultimately, because I hear what you're saying about your vote. But for me, it's not, I never thought your vote mattered more than you anyway. You matter to me, right? And so because you matter to me, I'm willing, brother and sister, to sit here and listen to what it is. Just tell me right now. I just want to know what it is you care about. Right. And oftentimes, I, I, you know, I'm a knock on wood. But up until this point, I have never met a brother or sister that didn't care about anything. Never. Right. And so that's why I never say folks are apathetic. I think people are turned off from this damn process and they are not crazy because they have been treated in such a way and they have as if their vote didn't matter. Right. And so I affirm that you're not crazy. I affirm of why they're feeling that way. But then what I want to do is I want to get to the bottom of it around what is driving that. And so most of the time what I do is I listen to really be able to get a sense of it. What is it that they care about? Mm -hmm. And then normally when we unravel and get to the place that they care about, I remember this brother in particular in Tennessee we're talking to, and he was saying, you know, he was like, yeah, I don't want to, I'm not going to register because X, Y, Z. And my friend just got 20 years in jail. And I was, and I asked him, tell me about your friend. And I sat there and I listened to him. And we, we had this discussion. And then towards the end, you know, we we're talking. And I was like, well, what do you think caused this? And he talked about this DA. And he talked about this DA who had been locking Black folks out. Uh, and I was like, well, what do you, you think he should just like continue to be the DA? He was like, no, he not to go. I was like, well, you know, you can get rid of him. Right. That literally, and, and so we, without going through all the details, we walked through this process where he was connected to his own power of really being able to get something that was relevant to him. And so even in that moment, and we got it on videotape, he was like, girl, give me that paper, you know, and registered right on the spot because what one and I'm not saying that everybody's going to approach it that same way, but I think part of it is we we frame the conversation as if people's vote matter and they don't. And so I think we have to shift the conversation to really remind people that they matter. 
right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. In addition to that, I think we also have to be honest with them about the limitations of voting. To go around and tell people that voting is a panacea and is the end all and the be all. First of all, we lying. But secondly, they know we lying, right? And so I think we have to be honest with them to say, yes, there are severe limitations with it, but also there is a measure of power. And then to help them really be able to connect that to their to something they care about their day-to-day lives. And then the third thing I usually go to is, I was like, you know, at the end of the day, if any decision is going to be made about Latasha Brown, okay, <laughs> I need to be a part of that decision-making process. So you might not, you might be okay with folks making decisions about you, but literally, like that's not for me. I never saw voting as I was going to vote for my the next savior of the country. I never approached voting as I was voting for my favorite friend. I'm like, Drake, I don't need no new friends. And <laughs> day, you know, what I'm doing is I'm voting because I see it as a measure of power. And as long as my community is suffering, I ain't leaving nothing on the table. Right. If there's anything that I can do. Every tool that is available, like as Malcolm X says, any means necessary. Mm. Any tool that's going to actually help advance or provide some level of protection for my people, you doggone right. I am going to use that. That doesn't matter what. That's just how much I love Black folks. Mm -hmm. I try to have a pretty optimistic position around believing deeply in my soul that not only do we have to win, but we can and we will win. And in this moment of unprecedented, and I mean unprecedented, like I've never seen this in my lifetime. People who I talk to who are older than me are like, I ain't never seen this in my lifetime. Where like so much of the country and so much of the world is talking about our movement. You know, I think there can be a sense that we may be farther along towards victory than we might be. I'm reminded of 2016, where I think there was a lot of assumptions, right? There was a ton of assumptions that Hillary Clinton was going to win the election, right? And I think there was also assumptions on behalf of our movement, right? That essentially our presence and our communication and our relationship with our folks was going to be enough to get us to where we wanted to go. So I need to ask your opinion on this, Latasha, because if somebody were to ask me today, are we winning? I would say, I believe we can win, but I know that backlash is real and it's serious. So let me ask you, where do you think we are on the spectrum of winning, sis? And based on your opinion, What is it that you think we need to be doing right now in order to get closer to where we want to be? You know what? Thank you for asking me this question. And let me say this to you. And I say this with everything in my heart. We are unequivocally winning. Mm. Listen, I need you to sit with what I'm saying. And I need people to sit with what I'm saying. That part of what winds up happening is that we have to really reframe of how we see a win. Because oftentimes we even measure our wins within the context of white systems. Hmm. Ultimately, if we're not moving or changing the ball in white systems, then we don't see it as a win. But ultimately, let me tell you what I know for sure. What I know for sure, Alicia Garza, is five years ago, just saying Black Lives Matter, folks were acting like everybody have a conniption. 
right? <laughs> that there were black folks, white folks, whatever, not saying it, right? The reason why I'm raising this is because I think we're also in this white, in this microwave age that we want victory to look like what we want it to look like in the time frame, what we want it to look like. Mm. And we should. That's what each generation, each generation should want it now to really tap into the, the fierce urgency of now. And our people are, are dying. Right. So I understand that. Right. But if you really understand how an ocean works. Right. Mighty rivers are filled drop by drop. Right. And every time we are resisting against white supremacy. Every time there's a new baby that is walking around the house saying black lives matter. I'm sorry, sister. That's a win, Mm -hmm. right? The win may not look, I don't judge our wins on how far we do um, in, in, in white folk system. Fundamentally, every time we put a crack in that glass, even though the glass is not broken, it's a little bit weaker. And so, yes, they may steal this election and you may do this and you may do that. But the truth of the matter is, you know, if black folks had not had some idea around hope and faith and winning, we would still be enslaved. Mm. Slavery didn't stop because white folks just had a, a change of heart. and was like, oh, we're going to stop slavery because <laughs> it's not the right thing to do. Right. You know, this system ain't going to change because like you, you're they're right. No, we got to keep putting those cracks in the glass. Every time a crack is in the glass, the glass may not crumble but it's a little bit weaker. Mm. It's a little bit weaker and it's going to open up the space at the appropriate time under appropriate pressure. Mm. That glass is going to open up and it is going to break and we'll be able to replace it with something else. And my point to you is we've got to recognize we're in protracted struggle. Sometimes what I have also, I've seen us go for these short-term wins that make us feel good, make our ego feel good Mm -hmm. in the moment, Mm -hmm. right? And no matter, we can't even turn our head Right. And and a year we fighting the same thing again, because what I think is part of the win has to be, are we shifting the consciousness? Once we shift the consciousness of our people, these systems coming down. Mm. I need you to hear what I'm saying. Mm. That when people, when the consciousness shifts, folks will not accept oppression. They will not accept in a certain way. We don't have right now. We don't have water fountains that say white and black. Now, that don't seem like a big deal to folks. It is unconscionable for folks to see water fountains that have black and white. At some point, black folks shift the consciousness in this country that says this is no longer acceptable. And that no longer exists. Now, I, I know people can argue, say, well, racism, X, Y, Z, but progress was made. Because at one point, that was the rule of the day. I raise this because I think that those of us who are trying to do transformative change realize that we're in protracted struggle. And anytime we move the ball up just a little bit, that there's a win in that. Now, does that look like what we want in the moment? Like the policy is going to change? The the truth of the matter is there's a lot of policies ain't going to change because guess what? The system can't even handle it changing. Mm -hmm. So ultimately, those cracks going to lead to the whole replacement of systems. It is. It has been done before. It will happen again. And so my point to you, I don't know if you have been in England a hundred years before they were in America, America was founded and folks were like, well, are we going to win? I don't know if they were that for, um, uh, they were thinking in that way. I mean, mm-hmm. now they did a whole lot of foul stuff with our indigenous brothers and sisters and bringing our African ancestors over here. But my point is that if you hold on to a vision and continue with that, you can't be stopped. Like, and we have to recognize that to me, I think right now this is really around capturing the minds, the hearts and the spirits of our people. Because rules are not relevant when people say that they're not relevant anymore. 
at some point, I think that literally the work that we are doing, the work sister that you are leading and literally capturing their minds and the imaginations of our people to radically reimagine something different, that's the real work. Making incremental changes in this system at best is harm reduction. At best, mm. right? But the real work, the real transformational work is giving people a vision of something greater, something better, something bigger that they can see and doing the work to get them that much closer to that. The mm. fact that we're saying defund the police, like folks can say, I have all kind of criticism that they want to, right? But damn it, I can guarantee you, you asked some folks a hundred years ago, whether somebody would paint Black Lives Matter in the front of the White House, they was like, that ain't gonna never happen. Yep, That's fast. impossible. That's right. And so, so at the end of the day, we have to really recognize, you know, that there is ebbs and flows and struggle. And that when you look historically at people who have pushed the envelope, it has always been a small group of visionaries that when nobody else could see, they were able to get the rest of the world to see that vision. That is our real work. Mm. These policy changes are just what they're just harm reduction in a the moment. These policy changes are just as, as tenuous as other things that are in this country, right? But what is going to be real is once we literally set and remind our people who they are and the power that they have beyond this system, Mm -hmm. the power they have to create, the power we have that the world actually needs our voice, not just in America, but that the world needs us. And when we take that rightful place, all of these things got to come down because they will no longer be useful and they will no no longer serve a purpose for us. That's the real You know what, Latasha? I needed that. Mm -hmm. And I needed you on this podcast today. (laughs) (laughs) No, sister, we are winning. As long as we are loving and resistant, we are winning. It's almost just like, long as I am breathing, I am alive. As long as there are resistance going on in our community, we are winning. And we have to see that. We have to put it in perspective. My win ain't contingent upon white folks' acceptance of, of, of it facts and fair. They don't determine whether I win or not. So if we all determine our wins only to the extent that white folks change, then that le- that gets us back in the same spot that we started at. My win is determined on me standing in a self-determined place, creating a vision, moving towards that vision, and folding my people in that vision and pushing forward, resisting in spite of everything that's happening to me. That's what a win looks like. I love this. And just like that, it's time for our weekly roundup of all the things Lady Just Ain't Gonna Do this week. Number one, forced sterilization of migrants in detention. This week, we learned that forced hysterectomies are being performed on migrant women in the Irwin County Detention Center in Georgia. Clearly, this is reminiscent of the forced sterilizations of Black and Puerto Rican women in this country. This is literally a project of eugenics and ethnic cleansing, and it's happening on your president's watch. I was today years old when I learned that at one point in this country, 32 states had laws on the books allowing eugenic sterilization, resulting in more than 60,000 people being forcibly sterilized. This is also happening to incarcerated women, and between 2006 and 2010, 
150 incarcerated women were forcibly sterilized. This is an attack on women, an attack on migrants, and an attack on our democracy. It's deeply shameful. Other things Lady Just Ain't Gonna Do this week is have no accountability in the case of Breonna Taylor. This week, we learned that the family of Breonna Taylor received a $12 million civil settlement, alongside some promised police reforms. Let me start off by saying, I'm glad the family got this. It's not going to bring their daughter back. What troubles me about this is that I don't fully understand it. One officer was fired. He will likely be rehired somewhere else. The other officers involved still have jobs and they're still free. The attorney general in this case, Daniel Cameron, has refused to press charges against these officers. And if he hasn't refused, he hasn't done it yet. And we found his ashy ass speaking at the Republican National Convention. So I don't know. Lady don't like no shortcuts. Yes to the civil suit, but also bring on the accountability. Let's talk about what Lady loves this week, because, Lord, we need some good news in our lives. Number one, Don Wooten. Forced sterilization is whack, but you know who's not whack? Don Wooten, who blew the whistle this week on that detention facility, which is now moving Congress to take action. Don is a black woman, a single mother with five kids, who stood up, risked her job, and said, this isn't right. Bless you, Dawn, and may the Lord protect you and watch over you. You are a national hero. Other things Lady loves this week. I know I'm late to the game, but I just started watching Black Lightning, and I love it. I know I'm late. I know, I know, I know. But couldn't I also be, like, right on time, too? (laughs) This show is right on time for me, and I'm here for the whole thing. I loved seeing Senator Nina Turner and Uncle Roland Martin all up in the first episode. (laughs) Other things that Lady loves this week is air that is basically breathable. The air has cleared up a little bit over here in the Golden State, and I've never been so happy to be outside. Lady also loves, though it's come through tragedy, that more people are paying attention to the dire impacts of climate change. Air is essential, my people. And your president doesn't believe in science, as we've seen with the Rona and, of course, with pulling out of climate agreements. I think I already said this, but let me say it again. Vote like your air depends on it, because it actually does. Latasha, Latasha, Latasha. First of all, Black voters do matter. Second of all... Black visions matter. Black Third visions of all, matter. black futures matter. Black and futures matter. Fourth of all, the black right now matters too. Thank you, sis. <laughs> thank you. Sis. I can't thank you enough for breaking this all down. How can people who want to connect with you on the socials get in touch with you? So please follow me on. I am. I try to stay. I'm. I'm, I'm trying to get my Instagram game up. So y'all, Let's come help on, me join get our IG today. game up. Come help on, me y'all. get my IG game up. <laughs> like I was on IG for a whole year and did not know that I had a private. Scooter Braun called me one day. It was like, well, if you want somebody to follow you, you might need to have your 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 IG public. I was like, what you mean? <laughs> 
That's all right. So I'm, 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 I got my IG game. I'm getting my IG game up. So follow me on all my social media. It's Ms. Latasha Brown, M-S-L-A-T-O-S-H-A Brown. Follow me. I update. I let folks know what we're doing. They can also find us, Black Voters MTR, um, on all social media platforms. And you can text us. Text We Matter to 797979. We Matter. We are engaged. We are here. You all, like, we have to know when we work together, we win. Mighty rivers are filled drop by drop. I just think that it's really important for us to recognize that the human spirit, when it is fully embracing who it is, it cannot be stopped. Even in death, it can't be stopped. Let's go. I love Let's you, go. sis. Thank love you, you thank you, thank you. That's it for Lady Don't Take No, but I'll be back here every single Friday morning to accompany you where you used to have a commute. We appreciate you joining us and let's keep the conversation going. Tell us on your mind, tell us what you like, and tell us what you just ain't gonna take no more of. On Twitter, we're at Lady Take. On Insta, we're at Lady Don't Take No Pod. We're also on Facebook at Lady Don't Take No Podcast by Alicia Garza. We post ways to do something about the things you hear on this show all over our social media. So if we got you amped up today, check out the socials to find out how you can take action. Please subscribe and write us a review and let the people know what you've heard here today. Our producer is Phil Circus. Our incredible theme is Bilaterix. This pod is supported by the Black Futures Lab. And I'm your host, Alicia Garza. Remember... If you see something, say something, especially when it comes to the dehumanization of another person. Climate change is hella real. Black voters deserve better. Organizing is essential. And hold the officers accountable who murdered Breonna Taylor. That's right. I said it. Because lady don't take no. Lady don't take no shit. Insist don't respect the sister. Walk around like a woman. Yeah. She won't speak less of something worse. Singing don't play. The girl take herself so seriously. People stare curiously. She got a natural way. Her hips sway furiously. Never luxurious. Carries herself like the cutest. Love y'all.